Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Today, we saw incredible pageantry, pomp and circumstance in the halls of the United States Capitol, on the floor of the United States Senate, as the articles of impeachment moved over to that body. They were received. The chief justice was sworn in. The senators were all sworn in as jurors. House managers actually read the articles of impeachment, or Adam shifted one house manager, on the floor. It was an incredible scene today. In addition, we've got explosive new evidence coming from Lev Parnas, the Rudy Giuliani associate, who alleges that there was a clear pressure campaign on the Ukrainian government designed to get them to open up the investigation into the Bidens. All of that colliding on the same day. Uh, It is a huge day in the impeachment story. So we've got a lot to discuss, and we're going to do it with two incredible guests. Joining me now, CNN crime and justice reporter Caitlin Polance and CNN reporter and producer Marshall Cohen. Thank you both so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, David. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, I want you guys to hear uh, some of the sounds that came from the United States Senate today. I want you first to hear Adam Schiff chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, as he took to the Senate floor, not where he normally serves, in his role as the lead of seven House Democratic impeachment managers. Here's Adam Schiff. The managers on the part of the House of Representatives are present and ready to present the articles of impeachment, which have been preferred by the House of Representatives against Donald John Trump, President of the United States. The House adopted the following resolution, which, with the permission of the Senate, I will read. He went on to read, uh, word for word, the articles of impeachment, the two articles, abuse of power uh, and uh, obstruction of Congress. Um, He read them aloud. And, you know, again, guys, this is this is the stuff the Constitution was written about. I mean, this is uh, it it is in these moments that uh, I not only sort of harken back to my first learning of how our government is set up as a child in school, uh, but also to um, just those historic moments that you remember where you are when you see things. And this impeachment trial, I know the conclusion may be a fait accompli, but it it is it is still a big moment. And um, and so Schiff now obviously is going to go on to preparing the case. Uh, He he read those articles a few hours later. I'm not sure why there was a few hour delay. Maybe what do you guys know? I don't know. But Maybe Chief Justice wasn't available until it's the second. Specified. Is it specified? For timing is very very. It's ten o'clock a.m. Two o'clock p.m. Twelve noon or twelve noon. Twelve noon. Twelve thirty. There's there's specific times written into the Senate rules on impeachment that say exactly what time things begin. That is amazing. I had no idea. So 
Uh, then Does the, that include the lunch breaks, too? <laughs> <laughs> the Chief Justice of the United States uh, makes his way across the street to the Capitol, and uh, he was accompanied by some uh, small committee of four senators, two Democrats, two Republicans, uh, to make his way into the chamber. And then the president pro tem of the Senate, Chuck Grassley, the Republican of Iowa, uh, administered uh, the oath, not of office, but the oath of, I don't know, of being the presiding officer of the Senate impeachment trial. That's right. Uh, to the to the chief justice. Give a listen. Uh, senators, I attend the Senate in conformity with your notice for the purpose of joining with you for the trial of the president of the United States. I'm now prepared to take the oath. Will you place your left hand on the Bible and raise your right hand? Do you solemnly swear that in all things appertaining to the trial of the impeachment of Donald John Trump, President of the United States, now pending, you will do impartial justice according to the Constitution and the laws, so help you God. I do. And then, finally, uh, before I turn to you guys to get all your thoughts on this day, uh, I want you to hear Chief Justice Roberts then turns and administers uh, the oath to the senators, the 100 senators, uh, to take the oath of impartial justice— uh, to serve as jurors in this impeachment trial against the 45th president of the United States. Here's the chief justice again. At this time, I will administer the oath to all senators in the chamber in conformance with Article 1, Section 3, Clause 6 of the Constitution and the Senate's impeachment rules. Will all senators now stand or remain standing uh, and raise their right hand? Do you solemnly swear that in all things appertaining to the trial of the impeachment of Donald John Trump, President of the United States, now pending, you will do impartial justice according to the Constitution and laws. So help you God. There they were in unison. Uh, Marshall, uh, as you saw all of this unfold this morning, what, what were you thinking? You know, I was also thinking about learning uh, of these constitutional parameters and stuff like that back in school. And also I was thinking about how this is kind of like the the dark underside of like a president's inauguration, which is also constitutionally set up, uh, all about timing and scheduling and pomp and circumstance. And the chief justice is there too, and there's an oath that's administered. Obviously, that's a big celebration of democracy. Uh, and a transfer of power. This is a much more severe and solemn moment where the president, and we really shouldn't forget this, stands accused by a majority of our elected representatives in the House, accused of violating the oath that he took when he became the president. This is serious business. You know, these are oaths. We hear it thrown around a lot, but like these oaths are an important part of our system, right? When you're charged with a crime or when you testify in a court, you're sworn in, you know, or if you're pleading guilty to something, you you are taking an oath and it affirmed that what you're about to plead to is true. If you testify against someone else, you have to do the same thing. Presidents are, lawmakers, I believe members of the military also take an oath to defend the Constitution and such. You know, so it looks like interesting television, but it's something really serious. You know, and these guys now and women have been sworn in to do something serious, impartial justice, uh, while they judge the president. Yeah. Uh, Caitlin, uh, I know you watch 
uh, the courts quite seriously in your day job, day in and day out. Here's the chief judicial figure in the land, the chief justice, uh, entering the political realm, which is something he is not. I know he has served in political roles before, but he this is not a comfortable position for him, is it? I think uh, one of the things that we've learned from from watching Justice Roberts over the years is that he is someone that isn't looking for the spotlight. And I think that we've already seen him, you know, he wore the, he didn't get flashy robes. He didn't get robes with gold armbands on them like like Justice Rehnquist did in the, in the Clinton impeachment. He wore the same robes that he wears when he sits on the Supreme Court as chief. And so that's sort of a, you, that's your, your initial clue that John Roberts here is not one that is going to be stepping up and making a big deal about this. At the same time, I'm as enthused about watching this process as you guys are in that politics is interesting to all of us because we're watching this system of democracy play out every day. And one of the things that we're getting to see right now is this third branch of government, which I very much appreciate and <laughs> and love to cover. And we are watching that third branch get a little bit um, – they are showing their role in – what happens whenever the Congress is is testing or enforcing um, the presidency? And so, with John Roberts there, we'd never get the American public has have has been incredibly affected by things that John Roberts has has done, and the court that he sits on has done. They you know legalized gay marriage. They upheld the Affordable Care Act. We as a the American public have not seen what he looks like. Um, in in this sort of setting where he's wearing his robes and he's ruling and he's sitting as a judge. And so in this, you do get to see Roberts, what he looks like. Uh, people will be able to name him. I think it's like more than half of Americans can't name a Supreme Court justice. Perhaps they will at the end of this. And perhaps they will uh, take up arms to get cameras in the courtroom into the Supreme Court. Yeah. Well, I don't know, think I'm not going to advocate Kaylin, for yeah. that at the moment. <laughs> I don't think Caitlin but... supports that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it could be a, a very helpful tool to but, sort of illuminate. But yeah, yeah. but they're going to see him now. Yeah, so no doubt about that. And and you are so right. The I think what we're getting at when we say like when we learned about this as young people and and then watching the practice, it's it's what you're getting at, Caitlin. It's the intersection of the three branches of government like no other way in which they do. I mean, to have the the presidency on trial in a case prosecuted by the Congress uh, and adjudicated by the Congress and presided over by the chief justice of the Supreme of the United States. It, it is. um it really is at the highest level an intersection of those three branches of government that set up our entire system. Right. This isn't like set to rap music like Hamilton, but like <laughs> the people who set up our government are real people and they thought through things. And, and it is. is incredible that we are seeing this happen on the day that we are getting new information, new details. That, that is what is amazing. This This impeachment case against the president is about to – Go to trial next week and new facts are still emerging. Stay with us. We're going to take a quick break and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Welcome back to the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. I'm David Chalian, reporter Marshall Cohen, still with me, and so is CNN crime and justice reporter Caitlin Polance. Um, I'm thrilled uh, to have both of your brains here for this day because uh, you guys follow this a lot more closely than I do. Um, 
Lev Parnas, uh, this character that has emerged, who, by the way, is under indictment uh, from the Southern District in New York uh, for campaign finance uh, violations, I believe, um, is the associate of Rudy Giuliani's, uh, who was basically, I think, like the the one Giuliani was tasking to get this wish list done of how to get Ukraine to open an investigation uh, into the Bidens. Well, uh, he is now coming forth in television interviews. This is after, I guess, some of his notes and text messages uh, were handed over to the House Intelligence Committee and, and then made public. Um, I want you to hear he sat down with our Anderson Cooper. The full interview is going to air tonight on AC 360 at 8 p.m. Eastern. But I want you to hear a little bit of their conversation. Here's Anderson and Parnas talking about uh, getting the Ukrainians to open up that investigation. Giuliani cancels his visit because uh, there's a lot of bad publicity about it in the United States. He cancels his visit. You go have the meeting with a high level uh, official in Zelensky's Correct. circle. And what's the message you deliver? I basically told him very strict and very stern that uh, several things. A, that uh, he needed to make an announcement. Zelensky needed to immediately make an announcement literally that night to, or tomorrow that within the next 24 hours that they were opening up an investigation on Biden. First of all, I can't help, Marshall, but uh, focusing on the words of to make an announcement, not to actually launch an investigation, right. but just to make an announcement. Right. I want to say that is what the mission was, right? Yeah. And, you know, this is something that became crystal clear during the House impeachment inquiry from testimony from a bunch of witnesses that, you know, at the end of the day, this was all about an effort from Trump and Giuliani it, it, very much to get that announcement. Uh they didn't seem to really actually care about whether any investigative work was done behind the scenes. It was about the announcement, which Democrats have said is tantamount to a smoking gun, that this was all about capitalizing on that announcement for politics, not for any good faith effort to investigate potential corruption. But when, when you look at what Parna said there, I mean, it's staggering, isn't it? You know, uh, but you, you mentioned earlier he's under indictment in New York. I think it's important to remember who he is, why he's talking now. He's in trouble. He's been charged with campaign finance violations up in New York. That is a case that's progressing. He has information. He knows that the Congress and perhaps prosecutors want some of that information. And he is now trying to make that available, make himself seem like somebody that might be uh, worthy of a cooperation deal, maybe a plea bargain, something along those lines. So it's important to hear what he has to say. Not unlike what we've seen with some other characters in the Trump era. Michael Cohen comes to mind. Absolutely. It's quite similar. Um, The difference between those two, I guess, is that Lev Parnas hasn't been uh, convicted of lying, or Cohen was. But, um, you know, it's important to hear what he says assess it for its credibility based off of this really big record of documents and evidence that also came through because, you know, the documents don't really lie. Caitlin, how how should we assess his credibility? What how how should we take this character and and say, oh, everything he's saying and telling Anderson Cooper or Rachel Maddow is just uh, gospel in the way it is. We can't we can't do that. Right. So how do how does how should we weigh his credibility? The key to Parnas, I think, in, especially in assessing these these lengthy interviews he's doing with news networks now, is that it's not just him coming out and speaking. He has receipts, right? So whenever he goes on Rachel Maddow last night, around the same time, the House committees 
release hundreds of pages for the second night in a row of documents that Parnas didn't make up. They are documents that were collected as evidence in Parnas's court case in New York where he's under indictment and that he went to a a judge and said, can I give these over to Congress? And the judge said yes. And so that's what the House is getting right now. They're getting text messages. They're getting photos. They're getting handwritten notes on Ritz-Carlton stationery from him. I mean, this is not somebody who is just you know, appearing and and accusing people of things. He is a person who had conversations with main players in this, uh, people who are uh, talking heads for the president. Um, these two lawyers, he was communicating with one of them yeah. in the text regularly. messages. There are regularly people who are main players in Ukraine that Giuliani was was interested in getting in touch with or trying to get in touch with. He's communicating with them, apparently, in the WhatsApp messages. So there is a lot here. And the thing that I think is most important right now is the House rushed these out last night. He turned them over earlier this week. There are hundreds of pages of the messages that are in Russian. So uh, they are hard to read unless you have a lot of people who are speaking Russian and who know the history of this story. And so we're translating them. A lot of people are working on translating them, but we don't know what they mean. Is it is the thinking that um, there's some bombshell smoking gun in this uh, material? Or is the thinking that he's providing more context to solidify the notion uh, that, as John Bolton, I guess, called it a drug deal, but like to solidify the notion that there was something uh, askew and wrong and improper about this uh, request of the Ukrainians and the withholding of aid uh that President Trump employed to get to try and get his way. It's I would say it's the second of it is um, this and more information about a bigger picture that we we can only see pieces of the puzzle and we only have have been able to. And one thing that has that Congress has impeached the president over that have the House has impeached the president over that um, we shouldn't forget is that typically in an investigation like this with Congress, the administration, the executive branch would be handing over documents that has not happened in this circumstance. And so we're piecing together uh, the public, the House. Um, all at the same time, what is going on here, who these people were, what they, what they were doing, what they were trying to do for Trump uh, or with Ukraine. And so we're still getting documents and we're still seeing from Partis and from other sources. Marshall, what jumped out to you as new? So much. I mean, a lot. And admittedly, I haven't read everything myself personally, and I don't speak Russian. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think for me, the most important thing from the documents was that Lev Parnas had way more contacts with way more Ukrainian officials than we really knew. We thought maybe he was talking to one or two guys, these disgraced former prosecutors. In fact, Parnas himself was in touch with many members of the incoming Zelensky administration, um, sort of applying the pressure. So, and, and we're talking face-to-face meetings, phone calls, and text messages. So I think the, the foray of the contacts was huge. And then the most important thing that he said in his interviews, which is frankly a little bit less supported than the documents but may still be true, was that Trump knew every single thing and that Trump signed off on everything he was doing. Trump or Giuliani signed off on everything he was doing. I'm not so clear that that is memorialized in the texts that, you know, oh, by the way, 
Trump thinks you should do this. Trump thinks, you know, I don't think that's actually in the writing. But that's where his credibility is up for debate. You know, can he bridge that gap? But the documents show just a massive and vast effort to apply extraordinary pressure on a young, fledgling government in Ukraine that is very desperate for U.S. support. Yeah. I mean, he seen, it, it seems to me he's like Giuliani's foot soldier yeah. in, this, mm-hmm. in this battle plan uh, to get Ukraine to do this investigation and that he's the one that is going to execute the Giuliani right. plan. And that's what here. he said. That's yeah. what he said to Anderson and to Rachel Maddow last night, that I was their guy. Yeah. And you mentioned um, – uh, motivation here, or at least how Parnas perceived what the real motivation was. And before we go, I just want people to hear how Parn- what, what Parnas thought everybody understood the motivation to be here. It was all about 2020. But again, I thought he was the it's our leader. He's the chief. He's the president. And it was all about 2020 to make sure he had another four years. And I didn't... And you, but that's the, how you personally viewed it, that this is about 2020 to help him get the next... Four years. That was the way everybody viewed it. I mean, there was that was the most important thing is for him to stay on for another four years and keep the fight going. I mean, there was no other reason for doing it. I just raised that because it echoes what's in the articles of impeachment that this was for personal political gain on the part of the president. Right. It's not shocking. This is told that assessment from Parnas is totally supported by pretty much all the evidence that came out during the inquiry, you know, about some of the explanations for why they were wanting these investigations and why they did it at these certain times and dates and all that stuff. You know, so frankly, it was never really that credible that the president wanted Ukraine to investigate this out of a good faith effort to root out corruption among Ukrainian oligarchs in a Ukrainian energy company. But hearing it from Parnas, that's a living, breathing witness who was there, firsthand knowledge, near daily conversations with Rudy Giuliani. That is valuable. And it goes to the heart of abuse of power. I mean, that, that it just goes to the, to the very heart of that. Uh, Caitlin Marshall, thank you both so much for being here on the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. We'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. Remember, we've got a new episode every weeknight, so please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And while you're there, leave us a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.